part two of our discussion of Ogden Kraut's book, Jesus Was Married, next on Polygamy, What Love Is This? Ogden Kraut was a fundamentalist Mormon who died in July of 2002, and during his life he published dozens of articles and books and pamphlets supporting his particular fundamentalist religious beliefs. One person said of him that he was a brilliant man who had gone astray. He wrote a book entitled Jesus Was Married, and this is part two of our discussion of that book. Now, we ended last time with the observation that it does not follow that Jesus was married just because he was called rabbi, since the title rabbi was not exclusively used in the formal manner that it's used today. Present-day requirement that rabbis be married did not exist in the days of Jesus, disputing all claims that Jesus was married because he was called rabbi. Kraut pointed out that 1 Timothy requires a man to be married before he can serve in the New Testament church. But those verses are telling us not that he has to be married, but that if he is married, he can be the husband of only one wife. Yes, we have a few scriptures here, three of them. 1 Timothy 3.2 says, Now the overseer must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife. 1 Timothy 3.12, A deacon must be the husband of but one wife, and must manage his children and his household well. And Titus 1.6 says, An elder must be blameless, the husband of but one wife. Clear. There you go. Now, the biblical Greek language scholars affirm that having only one wife is the stipulation in these verses. You know, from a study Bible, it says the Greek word does not require marriage, but does require a one woman husband. Now, this is from a Greek language <laughs> yes. scholar. So we, we kind of have to use the, the scholarship that, uh, that they know about this in the Greek language. This yeah. being accurate. Yeah. Kraut wrote that Jesus' disciples were married. How did he know that? Some of them were. Not all of them, maybe. I don't know. So it's only, but because they were married, it's only logical that Jesus was also married. That Jesus never said he wasn't or couldn't be married, so he must have been married. <laughs> well, he's concocting doctrine out of silence on the topic. Coming to that conclusion is as absurd as teaching that Jesus rode a bicycle everywhere he went since he never said he didn't ride a bicycle. <laughs> chapter 5, Kraut wrote about the marriage at Cana as described in John chapter 2. Mormonism, especially polygamists, claim this was Jesus' marriage. Or else, why would his mother have had such control over the details of this celebration? They, of course, read and interpret the scripture through Mormon-colored lenses. As someone very dear to me once said, we have to read between the lines in the Bible to get the true meaning. Well, if you're looking for truth, that's very dangerous. Yet it seems that's what they do. We ask, if it was Jesus' wedding, why was he invited? What groom is invited to his own wedding ceremony? Well, Kraut answered that question like this. <laughs> yeah, in chapter 5 again. Traditional Jewish records explain that a call is usually made to the bridegroom and his groomsmen when the wedding preparations are complete. Jewish traditions explain this call was made in the evening. We note, according to John, that Jesus was called to the wedding. 
Okay. So that's his explanation. That's his explanation. Now, more accurate Greek explanation is that Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. It was not a call for the bridegroom. The reason that Jesus' mother was there has nothing to do with the fact that Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. He was not the bridegroom. He quoted um, another Mormon polygamist, Orson, Orson Hyde. Yeah, from uh, uh, the Journal of Discourses, actually. Now, there was actually a marriage, and if Jesus was not the bridegroom on that occasion, please tell me who was. If any man can show this and prove that it was not the Savior of the world, then I will acknowledge I am in error. <laughs> well, we and, and others certainly more capable than ourselves have shown that error, but we've never seen an acknowledgement of the error or a change of their doctrine. Right. Kraut also quoted another early Mormon polygamist, Joseph F. Smith. Yeah, from the journal of Wilfred Woodruff, he said, I, he spoke upon the marriage of Cana in Galilee. He thought Jesus was the bridegroom and Mary and Martha the brides. Joseph Smith sp spoke upon these passages to show that Mary and Martha manifested much closer relationship than merely a believer. <laughs> mm -hmm. Judge people by their own standards, right? They didn't merely read between the lines in some of these things. They actually wrote their own stuff between the lines. He said Mary Magdalene was married to Jesus, and when she saw the resurrected Christ, she embraced him as no mere human or woman would do unless she was his wife. And how would he ever know that? Hmm. Only the bonds of marriage could have placed Mary within a mutual devotion more intimate than those of the apostles. This touching experience is a grand manifestation of the love which could only exist within the bonds of a devoted man to his wife. They're reading a lot, a <laughs> lot into this. Kraut, as, many, as well as many other uh, Mormon polygamists, referenced the New Testament use of the phrase Bride of Christ, Bride of Christ as another proof that he was a married Messiah. But every mention of the Bride of Christ is symbolic of his covenant love relationship with his church, his promise of eternal life, protection, and provision. Chapter 6 is entitled, An Everlasting Covenant of Marriage. Now, this is a huge doctrine for both polygamists and the LDS Church. Marriage is the key to their entrance into heaven. It's a big deal. In fact, it is the big deal yeah. on Mormon's path to eternal glory. Kraut wrote this. Yep. This restoration of the fullness of the gospel would include every doctrinal law, principle, and ordinance which God had ever revealed to man by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. One of these gospel laws, among the many which had been deleted or diluted, was the practice and principle of plural marriage. It had been taught and practiced by the ancient prophets, patriarchs, and the apostles. This law was commonly known and lived from the times of the ancient patriarchs and continued down throughout the Christian dispensation. They use the word law so much, don't they? The yeah. Mormon leaders do as well as the polygamous leaders. Just law, the law, the law so much. You know, Kraut was under a strong delusion. Yeah. And everything he said in that quote is incorrect. There is no place in all of the Bible, cover to cover, where any person, prophet, patriarch, or disciple taught plural marriage. There is no place where we read that the disciples were polygamists. Now, the word gospel means 
good news. And as, as Kraut moves us from Jesus being married into Jesus being a polygamist, he called plural marriage an important part of the gospel. How can sharing one's husband, his resources, his bed, and his love ever be called good news? What a good point. <laughs> what love is that? John 3.16 is the most widely known, easily understood recital of the gospel, the good news, and it is the fullness of the true gospel. Yeah, this is so wonderful. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, so that whosoever believed in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Where does it say polygamy, obedience to the law, ordinances, or the everlasting covenant of marriage as part of this gospel? Polygamy is very bad news, not good news. <laughs> Kraut referred to several men in the past who have permitted polygamy, but that means nothing. Either we agree with what God has to say about something or we're dealing in heresy. In fact, the Bible repeatedly warns us against teaching and believing heresies. Kraut wrote this. Still in chapter 6. Whenever God had commanded men to obey the principle of plural marriage, it became a binding law of the gospel to them. If they should refuse to obey that law or should contend against it, they were then breaking that co covenant and would incur the judgment of God upon them. It re if God requires his people to live plural marriage, they have no other recourse but to accept it and obey his will. Such a law would become a part of their faith and religion, binding upon their conscience and to disobey would be a sin. So there goes free will, right? Yeah. He said polygamy is a binding law of the gospel, which is a contradiction of terms of what the word gospel means. And then there's always that threat, if you picked it up in what he said, the threat of God ready to destroy those who refuse to obey this stupid so-called law of polygamy. From Joseph Smith threatening Emma with destruction through all the decades of this noxious marriage principle, even to this day, polygamists are threatening God's destruction on those who refuse the polygamous life. Mm -hmm. This is not the God of the Bible. Certainly not good news either. Not good it? news either. <laughs> Kraut, as well as other Mormon and polygamous teachers, incorporate the Old Testament or Old Covenant requirements into the New Covenant. In turn, they apply New Covenant principles into the antiquated Old Covenant. Now, the Old Testament people did not know about the New Testament reality. But to legitimatize their polygamy, fundamentalists dig back into the Old Testament characters who did have more than one wife. Kraut said that the gospel has ordinances, always had ordinances, and those ordinances have always been the same. But according to the Bible, which he abundantly quotes but doesn't trust, all ordinances were taken away and nailed to the cross. So no, the gospel does not have ordinances. They have all been removed and Jesus Christ becomes our righteousness when we trust him alone for eternal life. No polygamy. Now that is good, is good news. <laughs> and he writes further, chapter 6, 
Perhaps our friends will say that the gospel and its ordinances were not known till the days of John, the son of Zacharias, in the days of Herod, the king of Judea. According to Paul, Galatians 3.8, the gospel was preached to Abraham. We would like to be informed in what name the gospel was then preached, whether it was in the name of Christ or some other name. If in any other name, was it the gospel? And if it was the gospel preached in the name of Christ, had it any ordinances? If not, was it the gospel? And if it had ordinances, what were they? If then the gospel was preached to Abraham, and yet Abraham lived plural marriage, it indicates that Abraham was complying with the requirements of the ordinances of the gospel. We must therefore conclude that Abraham was obeying this principle as a law which was obligatory upon him. He was then justified in doing so. This was revealed to the prophet Joseph. He takes us in circles there <laughs> yeah, he does. And, and comes to some very wrong conclusions. And then he says this was all revealed to Joseph Smith. Well, Joseph Smith has been delegated to the category of false prophet. One false prophecy makes a false prophet forever. Yeah. Now, besides all of this, we have the Word of God and of the living Christ and God's promises. And we listen to Jesus. We do not listen to Joseph or anyone else. It seems the Mormons and polygamists are intent upon having ordinances, and polygamists are intent upon having ordinances upon ordinances, yeah. when Jesus has removed them all and has made obsolete the Old Covenant and all its laws and ordinances. Mormonism comes along and adds some up. It sure does. And Hebrews 8.13 and many other verses in Hebrews by calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and aging will soon disappear. There you go. Yeah. The old covenant is gone. The old has gone. The new has come. The new covenant was ratified by the blood of Jesus Christ. And there is no other covenant in this age of grace. That, that just moots everything that yeah, he's really written does. about all of this. Yeah, that does. alone. Kraut went on and on and on about the righteousness of Abraham because of his polygamy. And he, again, quoted Mormon polygamists like Orson Pratt, Orson Hyde, Jedediah Grant, Joseph Smith, and others to prove his conclusions. We don't have time to present all of his quotes, and of course, many of them are redundant anyway. But this all leads us into chapter 7, where he presents Jesus Christ as a polygamist <laughs> in detail. He quoted where the Bible says that Jesus loved Mary and Martha and their brother Lazarus. Then he made this statement. What kind of love was he speaking of? Was not this a different kind of love from that which he generally manifest? Or else why would John mention it? If Mary and Martha were wives and Lazarus a brother-in-law, then Jesus did love them with a deeper and more intimate love, which was so noticeable to John. He obviously doesn't understand God's love for the human race as being unearnable <laughs> and consistently the same for all of us. There is not, what he said here is nothing more than heretical presumption. He wrote that Mary and Martha had their grievances with each other like sister wives would. And he related the time when Mary was sitting at Jesus' feet. Martha was busy in the kitchen and, and he, she protested to Jesus that she was doing all the work and he needed to make Mary get up and go help her. 
His conclusion is way off the mark. Uh, Kraut says this, How much like a wife to offer such a complaint to her husband? If Jesus were merely a visitor, what, what logical reasoning would cause Martha to ask this guest to impose the household obligations upon Mary? No, these were emotions being expressed regarding household conduct, which Martha felt should be corrected by the husband of the house. <laughs> so again, you know, you can just see how he's reaching for things to, to yeah. make it into something that it's not. He's putting into the situation the, something that's not even intended to be there. And if you read Luke chapter 10, verse 38, you'll plainly see that that this home belonged to Martha and that Jesus was there as their visiting guest, not as their husband. Kraut continued to allege there were other women who were wives of Jesus. Now, hold on to your seat. Put on your seatbelt for yeah, this one. <laughs> this, is, this is good. Matthew, Mark, and Luke make mention of many women who attended and ministered to Jesus. The majority of these women were his own wives, and they ministered unto him of their substance. Later, at the time of the crucifixion, we find them following Jesus to Calvary and to the sepulcher. And many women were there, beholding afar off, which followed Jesus from Galilee, ministering unto them. That's from Matthew 27:55. From Mark 15:40-41, it says there were also women looking afar off, who also, when he was in Galilee, followed him and ministered unto him, and many other women which came up with him unto Jerusalem. And from Luke, and there followed him a great company of people and of women, which also bewailed and lamented him. But Jesus, turning unto them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but for yourselves and for your children. Another incident recorded by Luke gives increased insight to these women's identity. The nature of the situation indicates that they were wives. <laughs> I can't even imagine where his mind was when he's writing <clears throat> this particular part of the chapter. <laughs> he insinuated that Jesus was married to all these women. Yeah. Now, some of these women, when you read the details in the books, were married women. He's not going to marry a married woman just because Joseph, Joseph Smith did. Smith did. <laughs> and, and when you take all of these passages and take them in context and read the details from each gospel... That would have been hundreds a of lot, women. A lot of women. Hundreds yeah. of women. And then he doesn't call them wives in, <clears throat> in Luke 23. He calls them daughters of Jerusalem. Yeah. If they were his wives, why would he call them daughters of Jerusalem? It's absurd to think that he was married to all those women. And don't you think the Pharisees and Sadducees would have jumped on that too or something? I don't know. Well, some of the people believe that, that that's why he was crucified, because oh, of his polygamy. Oh, boy. So they would have. That would have been. That one. Yeah. Yeah, that's, and that's ridiculous as yeah. well. He came to die for our sins, as we talked about before. Now, as we wind down, um, it's time to bring biblical facts into this discussion to shed the light of truth on the entire topic using the same Bible from which Ogden Kraut quoted that Jesus was not married or was he a polygamist. First, the Bible never mentioned Jesus had a wife or wives. Now, we realize that a doctrine cannot be made on silence, but we can use the never mention as we add it to other proofs that we're going to bring out. 
The four Gospels provide us with the wealth of biographical information about Jesus, along with several testimonies from those who knew him best, and not a single one mentions anything about him having a wife, which seems kind of strange if he was married. Mm -hmm. Now, it does mention his brothers and sisters, but it doesn't mention a wife or wives or children. We quote from Answers in Genesis. On the cross, Jesus commended his mother to the care of John. That's John 19, 25 through 27. If Mary Magdalene was his wife, as proposed by many who claim Jesus was married, why didn't he provide for her care at this time, since she was standing with Mary and John? And that would be very true, Good right? Yeah. Now, Kraut mentioned earlier on in his book that because there was so much lost from the Bible in so many years, the uh, Bible doesn't talk about Jesus' life from 12 years old to 30 when he started his ministry, that it was sometime in those years, probably in his late teens or 20, that he got married. Mm-hmm. And, but the, but the, it's lost from biblical record. Uh, okay. But you know what? Everything in the Bible is there because that's the way God wanted the Bible to be. He says mm-hmm. his word is perfect. Yeah. So there really isn't anything missing. And if something's not there, it's because he didn't want it there and for mm-hmm. no other reason. Now, another question to consider, since Jesus knew that he had come to earth to die on the cross, why would he get married and have a family knowing that he would not be able to fulfill his obligations as a husband and father because of his impending crucifixion? It's another thing to put in our list of why he wasn't married. Now, Jesus fully understood who he was. We need to fully understand who he was as well. He was sinless, completely holy. He never broke a single command of God, not even in his thoughts. The only conclusion that can be reached is that Jesus could not have been married or have been a polygamist, nor could the sisters, Mary and Martha, have been his wives. And this is how we know that. From Deuteronomy chapter 17, verses 16 through 17, the king, moreover, must not acquire great numbers of horses for himself or make the people return to Egypt to get more of them. For the Lord has told you, you are not to go back that way again. He must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray. He must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. Now here's a command for the king not to take many wives. Jesus is designated as King of Kings. He is the King of Israel. He is the King of the Jews. He could not have gone against God's commandment and been stayed sinless and stayed holy. Now, polygamists claim that how much is, he wasn't supposed to get many horses, he wasn't supposed to get many amounts of gold and silver, and he wasn't supposed to get many wives. So how how much is many? You know, like the horses and the wife. Can he have 10 horses? And it still not be many or, you know, 10 Same pounds of gold wanted. or whatever. Yeah. But, but the many is you would have to put that together with what Jesus or what God said in, in um, uh, Genesis uh, that he started monogamy. Mm-hmm. And Jesus affirmed that when he was here, that yes. monogamy was his purpose from the beginning. So anything more than one is many. Deuteronomy forbids the king to take multiple wives, and Jesus never went against any of God's command. Next. 
Yeah, again, you're, and you point this out later, but Martha, Mary and Martha, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Leviticus 18, 18. Do not take your wife's sister as a rival wife and have sexual relations with her while your wife is living. Okay. Now, most polygamists and the early Mormon polygamists claim both Mary and Martha were his wives. We just read that Crowell thought so. Yeah. And most Mormon polygamists do take sisters as wives, going against God's command. Mm -hmm. Now, remember, Jesus is sinless. God prohibited a man from marrying sisters. Mary and Martha were sisters. Jesus did not go against the commands of God. He never sinned. Jesus said this. In John 14, 31. But the world must learn that I love the Father and that I do exactly what my Father has commanded me. So he couldn't break any laws. God commanded the Jews not to marry sisters and kings, not to be polygamous. In fact, God had forbidden the sexual and marriage practices of the nations around Israel, calling them detestable, and said he vomits out those who do them. How could Jesus ever participate in those detestable and forbidden practices? If Jesus lived this awful principle Mormons call plural marriage or celestial marriage, he would have been a sinner and therefore could not have been our Savior. Finally, we quote from Answers in Genesis, and the link follows the quote. The Bible is true from beginning to end. It is the inspired, inerrant, and infallible word of the Creator, and we can have absolute confidence in its teachings. And while it is technically silent on the issue of Jesus having a wife during his earthly life, the Bible does not give us any reason to think he was married, and it gives us numerous reasons to conclude that he was not married. And that's been our discussion yep. this time. And God and his own testimony about himself and about Jesus Christ can be trusted more than the reflections and assumptions of any man on earth. And if the Bible is not to be trusted, why did Ogden Kraut quote it so often? And why didn't Joseph Smith correct the parts of the Bible they allege are corrupted? Specifically, why didn't Joseph Smith restore the lost parts that reveal Jesus was married and was a polygamist? These doctrines serve to bring God down to their own level and make sex and marriage central to their religion. Mm. And that's what it is. Strange logic, huh? <laughs> it is strange. Well, there has to be some, I mean, in order to be in that practice, you have to justify. You've got to justify got. it. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, and, and so they read into and, right. and take out and ignore and take out of cause. It's so sad, so yeah. sad. We just hope that, yeah, that so some of the shows we're doing here will help people to investigate At for themselves. Look, right? At least and look. Think a little bit. Yeah, you know? yeah. Thanks. And Thanks this very is as much. recent as two, he died in 2002. 2002. Mm -hmm. so yeah. he, was he a polygamist then himself? You know, the Gospels do not specifically tell us that Jesus was celibate, nor do they or other New Testament books tell us Jesus was married. An argument from silence is not a sound argument. That the New Testament does not say Jesus wasn't married cannot make the case that he was married or a polygamist. Instead of making up doctrine based on the Bible's silence, why not focus on what the Bible does say? And the Bible does say in Acts chapter 16, the jailer asked, what must I do to be saved? The disciples answered, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. How can we or anyone add to that? Why would we want to? Thank you for watching.
This has been the audio podcast of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. Polygamy, What Love Is This? is produced by A Shield and Refuge Ministry. More information on this program, including the video version of it, can be found at whatloveisthis.tv. If you have any questions or need help getting free from Mormon fundamentalism, write us at contact at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 1-800-877-425-9993.